on ABC Radio. This is The Big Fish with Scott Levi. It's The Big Fish and Rob Paxavanis. Welcome back. Oh, mate. Excited. excited. Very exciting for our listeners in the, the northern end of the, the state. Something fantastic coming up. But, gee, I just loved it last week with your little girl. She is such a good little fisher. The 99-centimetre flatty story was just a, a cracker. But what's on the telly tomorrow on Fishing Australia? Uh, look, for me, it's a bit of a first. It's our first filming trip to, to the Clarence Valley, so the mighty Clarence River, huge system, and basing ourselves at Aluka and Yamba. And I'll tell you what, if you want to go on holiday in New South Wales, what an eye-opener, even for me, who's, you know, been travelling the country for 22 years filming, you know, I... I, I yeah, I'm, I'm gobsmacked. I, you know, when people tell me the fishing's good, I go, oh, yeah, okay, and I, I, I believe them, but I also, you know, let me be the judge of that. There's that old saying, Paxi, 90% of the fish are caught by 10% of the fisher people, and you found the right fisher people on the Clarence, didn't you? I did. I, I did get a massive head start by a, a, a handful of key players there, but I... I, I if anyone wants a fishing holiday, you know, Yamber or Luke or in, in the Clarence River, it, it was a, it's alive with life where it's, you know, we've had the big rains, the nutrients come down the system and it's just fishing better than ever. But look, we, you know, one of the key players that I fish with, um, Jason Everson is like a third generation um, commercial fisherman um, or comes from a family of commercial fishermen based at Aluka, a beautiful little uh, humble, gorgeous little town on the north side of the of the of the entrance to the sea there. And, um, you know, he took us out and showed us around and, you know, took us to good spots and stuff. And we, we caught, it was cold the first day, so we struggled a bit at first and then it warmed up and we, we started catching fish. But, you know, just a wealth of knowledge. One thing he, one thing he showed me that I found really interesting was that, um, that we, we filmed a couple of months back at Fish is Even Better Now in spring and summer. But um, we had a cold snap, okay, right at the start of the trip. The first day was still cold. And we waited for the incoming tide. Now, the surface air, the surface of the water, everything was cold. We had beanies and jackets on, you know. And he said, drop your lure down, Robin. I said, oh, okay. He goes, that tide's coming in. He goes, I want to show you something. So I dropped my lure down. And, you know, we, we, we'd done this, um, you know, an hour earlier. He said, do it, do, it, do, it, do it again. Bring it up. And he said, grab your lure and have a feel. And it was warm. And I said, wow, that's, that's warm. He goes, yep. He goes, ocean tide coming in underneath. And he goes, and that's why the flathead have picked up on the chew. And just, just little things like that that he was showing us continually through the episode. Uh, what a guru. Oh, mate. I mean, salt of the earth, salt of the earth fella. Uh, I um, like his beard, too. He's got a pretty <laughs> rocking beard. Mate, he's, he's, <laughs> he's old school. I could not. You know, he, he said to us, you know, it took, us, took him about the third or fourth day to say to us, you know what, my grandma and um, his um, foster parents are going to be so proud of him that because he, 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 um, you know, he just thought, you know, it was great that we're telling a bit of his story, you know, and, and, and mate, he knew that system. And, you know, we, we had the, I got another friend to come down. Um, well, I, I made friends with him over this trip, Dan Eggins from, um, Grafton, um, firearms and fishing, uh, you know, Grafton's, I, I don't know, 50, 60 K up the river as the, you know, following the river on the highway and the princess highway, anyone who's traveled to princess highway has gone through there. And then you've got another 50k above that before you even get to the fresh water. That's how big the river is. So um, Dan came down in his really, really well-decked-out boat, you know, had enough room for the crew and I and Jason. 
So we had Dan in the big boat, Jason as a guide. We had the side scan and all the sounders and that, but bringing all that knowledge together from, from you know, Jason was just amazing. You know what I mean? And he, and he said, come, come, we'll go down here. And um, I said, what are the, what's the, what, what's the dew fishing like here? And he said, look, you know, the bigger ones can be a bit harder, but there's, he said, especially after rain, there's a lot of soapies. And boy, boy, he wasn't wrong. We were catching soapies on cue. He said, cast up there, drop your lure along the bottom, bang, on. Such a big river that oh. if you get there and you're on your own in a little boat, it's mm-hmm. probably worth a day with a guide because it's just so hard to work out. And, and with these experts, you were really fast-tracked to where the fish were. Gee, you like yeah. those little soft vibes. And they seem to catch oh. everything from dewies to brim to flathead. Oh, yeah. Look, I, the brim fisheries are another story. Again, I was catching brim, like clunker brim while I was fishing for dewfish. These big brim were just clunking on the drop. But the little soft vibes that you're, that, uh, you're talking about there, Scotty, for the for the listeners' sake, I nearly said viewers, eh? <laughs> 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 for the listeners' sake, is uh, they're sort of 40 to 50 mil, um, and they're a soft vibe. And I, I take the middle treble off and I leave a treble up the back. And um, I, I like them so much because they sink deep when there's a, you know this is a big river a lot of current and we fish around the tide changes they get to the bottom well but when you lift them they give off this really seductive little and it really turns the fish on and the key to the key to it is after that is holding it tight so when yeah. it drops they it always 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 hit on the drop don't yeah. they and if you're not yeah. feeling the braid you go to you do your next little lift your little and and there's a fish on yeah, absolutely. And the other thing about fishing, and this is the key, and we go through this and, and other things on the show on Sunday, but when you lift and it vibrates, okay, the, the trick is to drop your rod slow and wind quick so you keep that line tight. The lure glides back towards the bottom. And a big a big tip ahead of the show is as soon as it hits the bottom, lift again. What that trains you to do on automatic is that as soon as you feel something, you lift again. So if a flathead happens to grab it or a dewy or a big brim, as soon as you feel something, you're being, your arms, your muscles and your brain are being trained to lift. So you're fishing on automatic and it makes so much difference. So that's a big, big tip for the people out there who are sort of, you know, um, you know, not quite advanced fishers yet, but getting there. And um, it really, really helps, you know. And that's how people say, how do you catch something while you talk and while you... Your, your lure bangs at the bottom, you know, if you do it, if you do, you know, 50 casts in a certain spot, you know, and chase and flatted and brim, whatever, your lure bang in the bottom, you know, a dozen times each cast. So you're training to, you're training to strike as soon as you touch the bottom. Fish touches it, bang, you're on, you know, because the fish don't hang on to a lure. And the little lures we're using, and there's a lot of good ones on the market, the little atomic soft vibe, but the colour was interesting too, Scotty. Did you notice, did you notice the colour? Yeah, sort of a greeny-brown, which really did uh, match the water of the, the, the day. Yeah, it's, this is, this, and this does my brain in as well. There's another colour that I really become fond of. It's jet black, and it has a little bit of orange across the, the top, which is like a, um, a, a very bright orange. If the sun's been or, or a torch has been shining on it and it gets dark, you'll see it glows a little bit in the dark. But... For some reason, the, the black colour is a is deadly. I mean, they all work. They all work pretty good. It's really um, odd, isn't it? Because with that watercolour, because there's still a bit of colour in the water from the yes. from the yes. floods, um, you would think that a really bright lure would be the go. But you were using very natural looking colours, weren't you? Uh, khakis, uh, blacks. Yes. You know, the odd little orange spot on them, as you say. But the the bulk of the the lures that were catching fish were were quite uh, subtle and dull, uh, almost the colour yes. of the water. Yeah, yeah, and look, I, I think that you know everyone has their favourite. Yeah, and they were working great. Um, 
I think that it's a little bit of a confidence thing too when you catch fish in a certain colour, you've just felt that bite and you stick with it, you know, and you're changing. And I also think that, um, you know, um, that, that it's, it's definitely got more to do with the fact that these lures get down to the bottom and they have that seductive vibe than anything else. And fishing light's very important. We use a maximum of 15-pound litre. Um, you know, we've got some um, chewies there, you know, at, at one point that weren't monsters, but they were, you know, 70 75 centimetres, um, and, you know, what a great fight on a, on a three to four kilo spin stick. You know, your heart's in your mouth for 15 minutes fighting these things in a strong current. It's as good as good as fishing as anywhere on the planet. It's beautiful fun. And so, yeah, you know, it all, it all, it all, it's all, it's all comes together. And, look, I think for people out there, you know, people say, oh, how do you catch those fish? Get, get those basics right that we mentioned and settle in and do it. Um, we, we often anchored or, or spot-locked on the electric and we often cast upstream and let the lure sink to the bottom and hop it back. The other thing about lifting the second that it touches the bottom is that it doesn't give your line a chance to lay on the bottom and snag up. So if you leave it for too long, the current will blow your, you know, your lure hits the bottom and, and the line blows your, uh, the, the current blows your line onto the bottom and that's when you're more likely to get snagged. So it all works as a package. Get the program right, settle in and do it. And, um, you know, try to fish directly up current so you're not getting a belly in your line. Flack tide is great, an hour either side. Or fish directly down, down current or straight up and down. Think about what your line's doing so that you don't get those pesky snags. Because usually usually your best brim flatter than jewfish fishing is where the sand or the mud meets the rocks. And if you can get that right, you're away. You know, you don't have to be right in it. Like, you can be, you know, three or four metres out and... You can fish that zone. You, you you're away. You know that's that's ninety percent of what we do. You know. Yeah. So, now look for yeah, those yeah, edges. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. we're speaking with Rob Paxavanis from Fishing Australia, and he's had a whale of a time on the mighty Clarence River. Uh, maybe those little uh, vibes that were working so well on the brim and the dewies and everything, the flathead. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the fact that the water's a bit stained from all of the the wet. Uh, the bait fish are probably also camouflaging and taking on the the, the similar colour that khaki that brown. Um, you know, very, very subtle. Um, a lot of the lures are very showy to attract the fishermen rather than the fish, I think. Yeah. But it's it's more about that signature vibe, isn't it? That that absolute, um, you know, when that hits the lateral line of the dewy or the brim, that that brrrt as they come up, that really tight action that they have on the on the lift uh, that attracts them. And then they see some little thing that looks like a fish trying to flee back down to the bottom to hide in amongst the weeds uh, yeah. or the snags. You know, that's that's the whole tactic and really when you think about it a small bait fish uh is not going to swim up into open water where it's easy to eat it's going to dive back down for cover of the bottom and, and that's my theory anyway as to why yeah. those little soft vibes work so well oh I, I, you are you I, yeah 100 percent. and i think too that you know if you see little mullet or little brim or any little fish when they're you know when they've been attacked or they're in their last moments of life they'll give that little death shake and then, and then they'll either try to rush to the bottom and hide, or just glide down. And it's, it's basically, it's basically saying to the fish, "I'm an easy catch," you know. And 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 that's when they, that's when they grab it, you know. Yeah. And it, it, it does, it does, it's remarkable. I'd rate them better for deeper water. I'd rate them better than softies because yeah. they give off that. How how and, deep how deep were you fishing? Because that's you know that's quite hard to keep in touch. Good good braid, light braid is great to be able to keep in touch with that lure. How deep down were you going? I think we. I think I start to use vibes, sort of, you know, anywhere from about, you know, three meters and onwards, and especially as you go deeper and deeper. But we were fishing, you know, 
up to 12 metres at time, but often around four and five and six metres, you know. Um, the plastics I like, um, you know, in that shallow water, that sort of, um, you know, up, up to about a metre or two tops, where particularly if you know that there's a flatty living in that spot and you can, you need to work your lure slowly, more slowly over the top and, and let it hover right in front of him a little bit longer. But that being said, the vibes work in, can work in shallow water well. Right. They're, they're a very, I like to refer to them as a searching tool. They cast a long way. They drop down, they find the active fish, you know, they, they get to the bottom quickly, they find the active fish. But, yeah, you touched on something there, 15-pound braid. Braid's very important because you need braid to feel it. 15-pound leader, probably, a, a you know, a three to four kilo um, graphite rod, you know, around the seven-foot mark, give or take, and about a about a sort of um, two to three, maybe three-and-a-half-thousand size reel. It's really, really a pleasure to, to use, you know, get what brand suits you, and, and you, you know... Uh, yeah, we we didn't even touch a bait. I don't think you know we just went and and and, and fished. You know, and how much? We, yes, yeah. how much of the system did you you cover? I I know you were right at the right at the very entrance, catching the big brim off yeah. those brilliant rock walls uh, at the entrance. It's so large the river there, and it runs hard. How far up did you go? Because you could go forever. Oh, it, it, you can go like 50k or so, guesstimating to Grafton alone. We we got about 10, 15k up, and we. You know, we, the first day when it was cold and windy, we found some shelters of some of the islands. And um, I, I think your teaser for today's shows might be where, which river in the New South Wales has a thousand islands? Jason explained that. A to thousand you. A, islands. A thousand there's a, islands. There's a thousand islands. It could, yeah, you know, so when people, I, I think this this is this is what really sort of won my heart and my fishing brain over in, in Luca Yamba. There, you can you can park yourself at Luca and Yamba, beautiful little seaside towns with good boat ramps. Plenty of land-based fishing options. You know, we did a lot of fishing down the mouth. You've got the rock wall, the beach. Um, you know, you, you, you've got little beaches to flathead fish, little rock walls to brim fish, jetties. You know, off the bank, not a problem there. And that's what I did for three or four. I did a couple of days before him and a couple of days afterwards without the boat. And I loved it, absolutely loved it. But then if, it, you know, if there's holiday traffic or you want to go adventuring, yeah, you just fly up the river and you'll find spots with flatties. Um, you know, when we, when we fished, it had been... Because of the big rain, a lot of fish were concentrated down the, the bottom end. But, you know, you, you go up the river and go searching. There's big holes, uh, you know, two or three k's up, and then you, you go further again. But, you know, if you wanted to go flathead fishing behind any of the shallow islands, oh, it's, it's, it's magnificent. Yeah. You know, you've got to, you, you, you can find spots all to yourself. So if you, if you went on a holiday and you parked your tinny, um, you, know, you know, the local holiday park, we, we stayed at a Luca Riverside as a council. The council has five Riverside, five holiday parks by the water. Now I've got to say they do a really good job. It's a credit to them. They're all really well run, and we, you know, you, you can have a holiday there, fish off the bank, or zip up the river, and you've got it all to yourself. I think a lot of systems, um, the, the the room really sort of won me over. You know, a lot of systems that I fish could get a little bit busy on the long weekends or the school holidays or Christmas time. This river, you, you can go and find the spot to yourself. But rest assured, as the Salt water starts to push in. These flatties and stuff are spreading around, and, and the brim and that are spreading around all these islands and some big Jews. I mean, there's a Jew hole up near the Pacific Highway Bridge, Highway Number One there, and then and then above that again, there's more big holes and all these islands. Start. I think it's got. Um, I think one of the islands, and I, I forget the name, is the largest um, island after you know you're talking after say Tasmania, um, Kiwi <laughs> Islands, right, uh, right? And yeah, yeah. So it's a and, and when, when you think of islands, these are estuary islands. So, you know, they've got your casserina trees and, and various other um, foliage there. And then 
they're generally shallow islands with, with, with good weed beds around and where you'll catch brim and flathead, but you'll also find these holes, you know, and um, oh, what a massive river to explore, you know. Um, yeah, you only and, just covered the bit, you know, oh, from a Luca sort of 10 and, and Yamba 10 k's up. I mean, yeah, you just, you'll have to go back, I reckon. Oh, we are. <laughs> we are. We, we're going back and we want to explore more and, 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 and you know, okay, like I said, after you've got to go, oh, I can't remember exactly. It was another 20, 30k above Grafton before you get to the Gorge Country. That's right. The then you've water. got the Eastern Cod and, and the bass yep. and, and uh, yeah. amazing fishing. You you caught so many flathead and brim in that. I'm just looking at the rushes of it. Um, it's the proper mixed versional go. So thanks for sending that to me. And uh, But you've just caught so many flat flathead and brim, lots of um, double hookups. I mean, it was quite extraordinary. Is is Was it really good? Did the, the, the oh. locals say that the fishing was really good when you were there or was that sort of average? It was just standard. I've always heard the brim fishing's phenomenal in Yamba, and we went out with a guy called Joey Allen. I think he's a good friend of mine, and um, he he was rolling small crankbaits across the top walls, and go, like, I don't know, probably 20 casts. He probably got a dozen brim, and um, and he said, oh, you want to get a flathead? Just, you know, like I mentioned earlier, he said, just run your lure along the, where the rocks meet the sand. Um, we we soft, soft vibe in a half a dozen casts. We had two flatties, Um yeah, it was re- really, really good fishing, particularly good after the big rains that we had. But he said, no, it's not uncommon. He, he actually said, oh, we're probably about an hour late. He goes, it would've, we would have got more brim. It would have been even better. And, um, you know, I have had f- friends that lure. F- I, it was the easiest brim fishing on lure that I've ever seen. And I've seen some good stuff, you know. Wow. Tasmanian that's WA. that's a big was, call it, to say it was the easiest it, brim fishing on lures. He was using yeah. tiny little hard bodies with a big bib. Uh, yeah, correct. And what he was doing, the brim were stacked up on the top of these rock walls, um, waiting for the, the tide just started pushing over, and they were feeding on stuff that was coming over. And look, the, the, the trick with these, um, the trick with the little hard bodies for brim is just to ro- just wind just fast enough that they roll. The brim really love that slow. They don't like a rip, you know, like a tailor or a, uh. or, or yeah, like a flathead loves the occasional rip. They they really like that slow wobble, and they, I guess they take it for a crab or a bait fish coming off the rock wall. And mm. and that, that was like a, twenty at a time coming out and following wow. it. You know, <laughs> it was it was it was it was it was. It great. does it was, run run pretty hard. There is is that the fishing very dependent on tidal movement? You know what the tides are doing. Yeah, Jason showed us you can jump around from spot to spot, and it depends on the species. I think the flathead you'll get just about any tide. You know, they they live where the you know amongst the weed beds or where the rocks meet the sand, um, and lay on the bottom. And, and because there's no current right on the bottom, they don't spend as much energy. Yes, yes, you can fine tune things, and that's another story for you when it comes to flathead fishing in a, in a couple of weeks' time. But flathead, I reckon you get just about any time. The brim, it really depends on the spot. And when someone says to you, "The brim bite best on this tide or that tide." The rock wall that you're watching there, that is on, um, it's a training wall they call it. It's on the inside of that is a bay out of the main channel. And the brim on the inside of the bay, as the, as the tide picks up and rolls over the top, they're getting this free flow and this free food, and that's when they bit best. The other spot we fished on the first day, um, which was, you know, 10K up the river, beautiful, magnificent sunset, mind you, as well. And that's when Jason told me about the Thousand Islands to explore um, well, what, what a what a lovely Australian talent, you know what I mean? These, to me, these people are gifts to the region, you know. And he he said to me, the tidal reach here about two hours after it hits the headland. So it had nothing to do with the tide change or anything. What it was was that, that shallow reach of that um, island as that warm tide pushed in from the ocean. The ocean was 22 and the, the river surface was, you know, we had a cold night, almost a frost. So as it pushed in, as it reached there, 
The flat edge just dusted off the cobwebs, and they're like you and I. They don't want to get out of bed when it's freezing. We have to. But <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They, they, they don't. They don't care. They've got no clock. They're like you know. They're like yeah. okay. And they, and they and the water warms them up, and they go. You know what? All the little shrimp and everything else starting to kick around. We'll have a feed now. So you know, it, it, each spot is specific to you, you know. And they, these are the beautiful things that you learn that make a day out on the water interesting. So it sounds like the mighty Clarence is still pretty good. Yeah, I, I can't rate it highly enough. Um, yeah, look, if you go there and have a holiday, you're going to have some fun catching bread and butter fish, brim, flathead whiting, and and best soapy jew I've seen, uh, soapy jew fish I've seen in New South Wales by a country mile, and bigger ones in the mix as well. And you know, if you're stuck, just waltz into any local tackle store. There's a there's a great one, um, run one run by Ross there over at Luca, and another one over in Yamba as well. And they'll point they'll point out some spots. It can mm. be. It can be a daunting river in terms of like it's so big, but the, the locals are very happy. They know there's plenty of fish there, and um, so they'll, they'll, they're more than happy to help out. And look, another guy, Stephen Gray, also took me for a run. You know, we went to a bridge that runs in um, off an offshoot. It's only 5K from Yamba. You'll, you'll see that on the program. We caught two fish right there in the boat, but you can catch them off the bank. And the, you know what? The guys weren't fussed. You know, normally it's a big effort to go and catch Jewish, and they're like, uh, yeah, well, no, we'll get a couple, no problem, Rob, oh. and, and we... Yeah, caught like, heaps, like, just caught oh, heaps. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. and let yeah, them all really. go, let them all go too, which is good, of course, uh, I think 70 centimetres is the legal size. Yeah. I think you've got a few over legal, but let them yeah. all go to, to grow to the 30 kilos that they can I, grow to. I didn't even get... To, I think next time I'm going to explore the top end for the bass and, and other things in the middle. All right, reach. give me a hoy, I'll, I'll come with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love for you to come, Scotty. How about the, the rock wall too? The rock, the youngsters out there were getting um, long tail tuna. You know, even in even in, in you know late winter when we filmed, and then they regularly get ten kilo jewies and some monsters. And Taylor fishing, oh mate, it is it is the fishiest little place on the coast. You know, I mean, I know not fish some dudes. I love my Clyde River and I love a number of other one, but this, oh, this one's taken the cake so far. <laughs> uh, well, the mighty Clarence tight lines, Rob Paxavanas. Catch you next time on the Big Fish. Yeah, my pleasure, Scotty. Yeah,
On ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. ABC Radio, it's The Big Fish with Scott Levi. Here comes Tinker with his fishing tips. Some hot advice for your fishing trip. Where to find them? What's the bait? Are you catching any, mate? Good morning, Stinker. Uh, good day, Scott. Now, this is a reality, t- uh, reality, I almost said TV show, radio show, <laughs> where we don't well, we don't embellish too much. I mean, it's fishing. You've got to stretch it a little bit. But um, most of the fishing shows, they, they always catch fish. They always fill the boat. They, they're always successful. But that's not really how it happens, is it, Stinker? Sometimes even the, the gurus can come home with an empty bag. Is that right? Oh, that's true, Scott. That's true. And, and if you... Come home with a full bag every time you went fishing. I don't think fishing would be the challenge that it is. You know, you've got to have a couple of bad downers to be called before you really appreciate the uppers. And yeah, so now if you have uppers all the time, well, you get a bit over that. And if you have downers all the time, well, you certainly get over that. So if you get a nice mixture, it's just a, a bad day teases you to your next you say oh look I've got to go again it can't be as bad as the last time I went which makes me think about last Thursday because I had um, what I call an air swing Scott (laughs) (laughs) I missed all the golfers would know what you're talking about or a duck in cricket would be the same thing that's right a duck in cricket or an air swing in golf. Yeah, that's all. Or putting it in the ditch in bowls. You know, <laughs> there's always something. But what I did do, it was a lovely day, Thursday, if you can recall. And and around about high tide was 10 o'clock. So there's been a few flathead on the beach. And I've been rather keen to have a crack at plastics with flathead because I'm not a plastic. I'm an old bait dinosaur. That's what I am. So I thought, I'm not taking any bait at all. I'm only going to go with plastics. So I got uh, up stink pot. Down we went down the beach. And, I, oh, look, it was just, the sea was as flat as a flounder. And to go across Fingal Bay, it's interesting spot Fingal Bay because it's got two sides to the beach that you can fish on the other side of the single spit, the north side and the south side. Well, I'm on the south side, but I want to go to the north side. That's always the case, isn't it? But anyway, <laughs> I've gone to the Fingal spit, and I'm going to shoot uh, across in Stinkpot straight through the Fingal, through the spit. But I looked at it, and I saw the waves coming from one side, and I saw the waves coming from the other, and I saw that the, way, that the water was shallow, so I... I gave it away. I said, no, no, I'll stay uh, inside Fingal Bay. And what I decided to do, Scott, was to drop an anchor about 20 metres offshore and jump out of the boat and swim ashore, and then I can fish for flathead wherever I wish. But there's one spot, one spot that's really good spot, and and it's um, probably 
I pretty much guarantee a flathead at this time of the year. So I'm just about to jump out of the boat, and around the corner comes a big uh, one of those uh, cruise ships. <laughs> loaded up with people who then drive in onto the beach and they all jump out and dance around. So that is the end of my flathead experience. <laughs> you know, and I'm going, oh, no. So uh... what, Nick? So I, I've given the flathead away. That's, that's not going to work. So I've decided I'll motor out onto the point with the um, plastics and see if I can catch a snapper on the change of tide. So out I go, and again, I don't, anything I say about using plastics, don't take any notice of me because I, I'm no champion, I can tell you that. But I'm going to give it a go. And anyway, out I go, I've got the plastics and everything else, and I throw one over the side and stick it in the rod holder. As I was told by Paul Lennon, who is a champion, Paul's an absolute champion. You've come across Paul somewhere, didn't you? Yeah, Paul, Paul has caught more metre flathead in your neck of the woods than anyone I know. Yeah, and Snapper too, and Mulloway, and Kingfish. He's an absolute champion. He's only a young bloke. Anyway, he encourages me all the time to, to use plastics because he, he says, you'll do better with plastics. He says, anyway, I, I threw out the plastic. He said, I catch most of my fish. With when I push the rod in the rod holder and let the rocking of the boat um, work the work the plastic, and I said, "Oh, it's good enough for Paul. It's good enough for me." So I stuck the rod in the rod holder, and it was only there for thirty seconds. And it bends over, and I'm thinking, "Whoopee! Here we go!" And so I wind, wind, wind. Up comes the biggest red rock cod I have ever seen. It was a monster, an absolute thumper. A flower pot, a mouth almighty. Oh, you can. Well, I don't. I, I, I got other words for it, but that that's, you know, that's. <laughs> I mean, I, it was the last thing I really expected, but it was a thumper. Uh, and then I had, I threw out again, and I settled back, and oh, it turns out the the rod goes off again. What is it? It's another red rock cod. <laughs> so, oh, blimey, I'm out here catching red rock cod. There must be heaps of them down there. So I'm thrown out again, and this time I drift along, and I hook the bottom. Oh, oh no. You know, and when you hook the bottom, um, when you're fishing with that sort of equipment, it's it's not not easy to get off, you know. It's, it's a jolly nuisance. I mean, I normally use mono, but with um, braid, you try and break braid, it's not easy thing to do so I had a little block of wood in the boat so I wrapped the braid around the little block of wood and I pulled and pulled until it broke and then I'm thinking I'm I'm going home <laughs> I'm out of here I'm out of here so I, uh, I kicked over stink pot and went home but oh gee you know funny thing I um, I had a good time even though things <laughs> yeah. went haywire I had a good time uh, what about, what were the people on the beach doing? What was it like a, a a leisure cruise or something? Yeah, well, it's a cruise. They go onto the beach and which is on the island, and then they'll walk up onto the island, across the island, and probably out around the lighthouse in front of the light in front of the island. There's a lighthouse, so they were probably going out there to have a look at the at the lighthouse. 
But oh, look, but once that big boat turns into that corner, well, that's goodbye to all your flathead. They're, they're not going to, they don't like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're yeah. out of there. But oh no, and I'll come home and I and I filleted the the, the um, rock on, and I've got um, I've also put some um, stock. I made some really rich fish stock out of heads of snapper that I caught a couple of weeks ago. Oh, it's really rich. I put in peppercorns and, and what else did I put in there? Oh, onions and things, you know, garlic. Oh, it's so rich. And so I've kept these the fillets of the red rock cod and I'll put that with a couple of lobsters that I've got, I've kept, and also some nice fresh prawns and I'll uh, I'll put it all in a big chowder and add some cream and and mashed potato. Oh, what dear. time? What yeah. time are you having dinner tonight, Stinker? Well, I've already got twenty people coming. So. <laughs> That's great. I, I, we caught a really big red rock cod uh, once, snapper fishing, and um, I said, I think I'll give it a go, Stinker. You were talking to me about how how they they are just fantastic, and if you can fill them without getting stung and ending up in hospital, because there's they're a very close relative of the stonefish, and they can really knock you for six and give you an awful, awful poisoning. But um, it was as good as coral trout. Uh, just fantastic, very white and firm, but they're, they're usually too small, aren't they? So if you get a really big one the size of an Aussie Rules football, um, you get a couple of good chunks of meat off them. Well, that that's the size of the ones I got on Thursday. And what the, what the best um, part of a, of a red rocky uh, to put in a chowder is that they hold their shape. They have that texture that if you cut a block, uh, you cube it, you cube the fish, and then you steam it, and then you drop it in as the last thing you do. You drop that into your chowder after it's already cooked, and it won't break up. But if you put in other fish, and that includes snapper, snapper's no good for a chowder because it's soft and it, and it breaks up, and you don't actually get the... The, the, the fish experience because it's in there somewhere but you yeah. don't know where but with the red rock cod you certainly do so you know that you've got lobster you know you've got prawns and I mean you can put calamari in there too oh look mussels and scallops you can go haywire when you when you're making a chowder I'm absolutely and, drooling here stinker this is this sounds brilliant fantastic oh chowders chowders well winter Chowder is more of a winter thing, but it's no. That's not to say you can't have it in summer. But I, I love a good chowder. First one I ever had, I was in Ireland, and I and I, I tried chowder in Ireland. Oh, I think I had three plates of it. It was just <laughs> beautiful. So I've been making it myself ever since. Remember the um, the story you told about the the Greek fisherman who had a bit of money and he went to the the game fleet the big shiny game fleet in Nelson Bay and hired a uh, $1,000 a day uh, marlin boat to go and chase red rock cod? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and they said, well, who, who can um, show him where to go? So someone said, oh, Stinker knows where the red rock cod are. <laughs> oh, blimey. I'll go. So um, I took all the kids in the neighbourhood and we said, we put them along the deck of the boat and uh, with hand lines and put a bit of pippy or prawn or something on and said, right, I go for it, kids. Well, we ended up with half a box full of red rock cod. <laughs> and uh, this guy was so happy. I mean, I would have been, you know, I would have called that a pretty ordinary day. 
But he thought that was the greatest day of all. It's such a great story. And, and fishing is whatever you want it to be, isn't it, Stinker? It's just a day out on the water when you don't catch any. It's not a day to worry about. Tight lines, mate. Hooray, Scott. Coming up next on The Big Fish, the WRFL is kicking goals. Now, it's nothing to do with football. It's the Women's Recreational Fishing League. That's our next cast on The Big Fish. As you would know if you follow Rugby League, the Gillaroos are doing great things for Australian Rugby League overseas in the World Cup. But we have another sport that was traditionally dominated by men. Now uh, women are making their mark, the WRFL, and it's not Rugby League, it's fishing, the Women's Recreational Fishing League. And uh, they're getting into their first tournaments and the women are getting on board in droves. It's the uh, brainchild of Joe Starling and, and a group of like-minded female fishos, and Joe joins us on the line. Good morning. Oh, good morning, Scott. It's so good to, to be speaking to you and the listeners again today. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while, and it's been a couple of years down the track, a bit of water under the bridge, as they say, since this idea was just a seed. Then it was really knocked about by COVID, but now it's really starting to grow. You've had your first tournament. Uh, tell us about that. We have. The Bassex Women Tournament was, um, was just fished on Lake Glenbourne this uh, last weekend. Um, and it was our pilot run. We've got a whole new um, concept based on the based on the um, the Pro-Am series that we have for uh, Bass and Brim and, and Barra around the country already, but with a little bit of a tweak, Scott, in that um, because we're a, a, an elevating league, our, our remit is to encourage women to consider recreational fishing as a pastime, um, get involved, learn and um, mentor one another and those sorts of, you know, and, and really explore the pastime. And then um, if they decide that it's something that they'd actually like to take further than than a hobby and, and um, make it their sport, then we, we mentor them into um, gaining those skills. So with our tournaments, they're there's always competition, and that's very healthy. But the um, the biggest goal is to mentor one another. So our point of difference is that the the three sessions all have a a, a boater and non boater, but we call them a mentor and the mentee. And um, a mentee gets allocated to their boater. There's three different boaters across the session. It rotates around, and um, and the boater. In, in a normal pro-am or boater non-boater uh, competition, if anyone has ever fished them, you'd realise I've fished them as a non-boater, and you have lovely banter and chats and all of that with some of your boaters, but some of them are so serious they don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> they're so they're so focused and, and so wrapped up in catching fish, and they're real experts. The people you got, but um, that's yeah. right. But they're also in to a certain extent in competition with you. And so I've been on boats where I don't even have my own sounder, so I have to sort of look over to the other end of the boat and see what's happening. And then I've been really um, naughty and gone, well, they've got heaps of fish there, or if I have got a sounder, they're not on my sounder. 
So the boater has positioned themselves over the patch of fish, stuck me out of the thing, so I'm yeah. flicking down over <laughs> to their, right. their end of the boat and dragging uh, their fish across to me. Yes, that's but right. Anyway. So how, how have you geared it up then so that the mentee uh, yeah. fishing gets a fair go? Okay, so what I'd like to say is that um, the mentors are women as well. They're a female boater, and um, and the mentee, uh, what, what we've done that's different is that the partnership um, between the mentor and mentee for that session, both women record all fish that come in. We use an app, um, but the person who caught the fish um, picks that it's actually their fish, but they both get the score of that towards their overall tally and recognising the fact this is a team because our mentees have to come in a day early and do a really, really intensive, full-day, mind-blowing fishing clinic um, and it's everything from uh, communicating whilst the fish is on, being on the net, what to do so you don't knock the person's fish off, how to net properly, basically. But also, <laughs> if you're the one on the fish, how to communicate with your netter where you're going to bring the fish. I've yeah. had mates do that deliberately. I know they have. <laughs> you know, they've botched the net job because they don't want me to beat them. I've seen it. Yeah, 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 that's right. It's, it's a tactic. And so we've gone through everything. They've learned to cast bait casters and spin They've, uh, we run through um, all kinds of lures and explain how they can look at a lure and work out what it's meant to do, even if they've never seen that one before, how to fish those lures. Uh, we've gone through how to look at a waterway and work out where to start fishing um, without your sounder. Uh, we've, we've talked about um, not tying. Our girls start with a uni, then went run to double uni because that was relevant for bass. Um, but then went straight to the FG knot, believe it or not, wow, because yeah. we're sponsored by um, Ozfish Unlimited, or they support us, uh, and that is their preferred knot for strength and, and reduction of, um, of line in the waterway. Waste tackle in the water. That's just Correct. so good. You've really put a lot of thought into tournament fishing and come mm. up with a far better model, which would actually be a better model for for men to follow as well, because oftentimes you see that that expert on the boat, as you say, not not sharing. There's no incentive to share uh, mm. with the the amateur that they're fishing with. Yeah, well, that's right. So with our model, um, it's in the mentor's best interest to make sure that both lines in the water are as active as possible, so that because they're going to take um, the mentee's fish on their scoring journey as well when they swap over. So. Um, we have three sessions of five hours, so they're big days out on the water. Yeah. And um, because it's this time of year... All, all catch and release, all catch and release too. All yeah, catch yeah. and release, yes, absolutely no. Um, nothing is allowed in the wells at any time. Um, and, and we had um, the uh, VPI New South Wales um, supported us as well by providing an education officer, um, Trent, who was absolutely brilliant made the journey and um, addressed our mentees at the at the clinic about best practice fish handling for survivability um, and provided all the girls with release weights and gloves and, and those sorts of things. So that was very much appreciated and, and a great um, addition to the clinic. Um, and, yeah, and then they all went out on the water and the biggest bass caught was by Jill Wales, who is a bass pro. And um, can you imagine, though, we have had one junior participate, a sixteen-year-old, sixteen-year-old uh, girl named AB, and um, she hadn't caught a fish for three years, 
um, and she her first two draws, she got the two bass boats, so two tritons. Can you imagine wow. the glee on her face? Um, but what I will say, if you don't mind, I'd just like to tell everyone that's listening um, the va- the value of uh, and the the, the goal of the Women's Recreational Fishing League is to get to gender participation parity by 2050. And you'll start seeing a logo going around that says 50-50-2050. Um, and that's about upping the number of people um, participating in our beloved sport. That's better for everybody. It's great. It's going to be great for our social licence as well because it'll ease down. You know, those that want to believe bad about what we do uh, are going to be very hard to uh, change the mindset of. And I think what they um, like to spread is this Putinesque um, personality of the wreck fisher. And uh, it's only through all the stuff that's going on in Ukraine that I've started going, yeah, it's that, it's that Putin, the, the bare-chested, you know, look at me, I'm a legend, um, image of Putin that I think they try to put out. And we all know we're not like that. But when we have a parity of participation, we've got women in there who are um, just fishing and there's there's, they balance um, the trophy hunting sort of style of of posts that we get. We'll have that, um, we'll be able to undermine that lie that gets spread about us. That's yeah. going to be a really good thing for us, but also it's great for every sector in the in the industry just to ha- have more. And it's great to have, as as we've all been hearing, the if Mum's going out fishing with Dad, then there isn't the option for the eleven the tween ages to say, "Oh, look, <laughs> I think I'll stay home with Mum and play on my device." It's like, "Well, Mum's coming too, dude, so you're coming fishing." And we might be able to keep more juniors involved for longer and break that cycle or that demise into um, into the addiction, into the devices, which is a good thing. We're there for the women who feel intimidated going into the male-dominated area to um, come and get the skills they need to then go and fish where they belong, and that's with any other fisher because we all know there's no gender bias in fishing, Right. What I found is that the gender bias tends to exist more in the women's heads in a form of anxiety, and so that's what we're there for. You'll be pleased to know every state in Australia now has a Women's Recreational Fishing League Facebook group, um, and we have uh, financial members in the league from every state. Um, We now have a national body that we're building up which is going to coordinate all the events, but we meet once a month um, through a reg- you know you register for an event we had one last night um, where we have guest speakers we had the wonderful April Vokey last night um, talking to the women via Google Meet so she's incredible yeah. isn't she just a uh, just, superwoman superwoman she is and she's one of the most humble and divine superstars you'd ever um, you'd ever want to engage with you know she's just so lovely. Those stories of fishing in bear-infested rivers for, for giant <laughs> steelhead with the baby in a papoose oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, the baby it. learning how to call to the moose. And it's yeah. just incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a lovely time last night. We only got time for one quiz round because we all just hung with April for so long. Uh, she you, generous of her time. You go, you girls. This is so good mm. what you're doing and, and it's just so good to share 
our love of the sport with with all in the community and we've got a lot of catching up to do but the women's recreational fishing league is is putting it right let's uh, have a chat down the track joe about more great events i know you've got plenty planned for the future so well done for getting in there at glenbourne and, and kicking it all off thank you so much and um and thank you for giving me the opportunity to come back and have a chat Oh, it's been really nice to see it from its birth to now um, really going very well. So uh, more power to you. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Scott. Joe Starling there from the Women's Recreational Fishing League. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.